good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. Uh, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to see y'all here this morning. If you happen to be a guest, whether it's your first time with us or your first time in a long time, welcome. Uh, I saw our welcome team and our ushers really on the ball handing out uh, welcome bags, but if you happen to have come in and not received one, uh, make sure you grab one on your way out. It'll give you a little bit of information about our community and also an opportunity to receive some uh, gifts, uh, things we purchase from local merchants. It's a way that we bless our community as well, so make sure you grab one of those on your way out. And if you happen to be relatively new to our community, even if today is your first day, I want to invite you to something we're doing right after the service, right after the service in the room that's uh, just outside these doors to my left. Uh, we, in the office there, we're having what's what we call starting point. It's a brief gathering of folks who are relatively new to our community. Uh, I'll be there. A few folks who are sort of longer term with our community will be there. It's an opportunity to meet other people who are fresh to our community, hear a little bit more about what we're doing here in Chatham County and what it means to be a part of our community. So whether you're visiting uh, or you're checking out, checking us out alongside other churches and sort of thinking, where might I settle as I'm here in Chatham County? Where might I settle in a church community? This will give you a picture of what it might be like to consider us as a place where you settle. So join us. Uh, you need not have RSVP'd. Uh, in fact, we don't collect RSVPs for that. So just show up. It's a brief gathering. I always say that it's brief because I am usually hungry after the service. And uh, the longer it goes, the hangrier I get. So we, we keep it brief because we want me to be pleasant for you there. So, um, so we'll have you in and out of there in just a few minutes just to get a picture of what it looks like to be a part of our community. Uh, a few years ago, I drove out to a multi-day off-site overnight uh, for like three or four days training for recent hires in the organization that I worked for. I was really looking forward to this training because we'd heard all sorts of buzz about how they had revamped the curriculum. They had paused doing the training for a few years to revamp the curriculum. And I was part of the cohort that was going to get this first shot at this fresh attempt at training. Uh, and, uh, and we were going to be able to give feedback and participate in it. So I was super excited. And I loaded up my car and I drove out there and I got there uh, just, uh, just about before the starting time of the first session. And so I started to unload my cars and, you know, I, my car and I unloaded the backpack with my laptop and my notebook to take notes. And I unloaded a bag with board games because we need fun things to do in the evening. And we were told to bring sort of a snack to share as a way to sort of introduce ourselves to the rest of the cohort. And I brought a few snacks, so I unloaded those. And then there was nothing else in the trunk of the car. Something essential was missing. I had left my suitcase with all of my clothes and all of my toiletries, which is a pretty significant miss when you're going to be at a three to four night training. So I talked to the conference organizer, and I was there for sort of the intro, and then I got back in my car, and I drove out back to get my suitcase. Fortunately, I had someone who was able to meet me along the way and bring my suitcase, but I still ended up missing key parts of the first evening, uh, all because I forgot to bring something that I knew I needed and that I already had ready to bring with me. We can miss stuff when we forget to bring the things that we know that we need. We can miss out on key opportunities, even 
if we know that we need them, even if they're ready for us to bring, if we leave them behind, we run the risk of missing out on good stuff. All this month, we've been talking about what it looks like for you and I to bring spiritual power into everyday places. Jesus has given this gift to all of us who follow him. It's this gift that enables us to change the spiritual environment in every situation, in every location, and in every relationship we find ourselves in, and to change them for good, to change them for the better. Last week, we got super practical as to what it looks like to bring spiritual power into everyday places. We shared two different types of prayers. We could pray as we step into this spiritual authority, right, this, this authority that Jesus has given us to bring spiritual power to everyday places. We talked about these two prayers. We talked about what the Bible calls prayers of loosing. These were prayers that, that can release God's blessing, God's goodness, into relationships, into situations, into places that transform, that set people free, that set blessing upon a particular situation. And we, 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 we encouraged one another to pray these types of prayers, prayers that said, I set loose a blessing of peace or of joy or of goodness or of freedom over this or in this or in this person, or over this person, in Jesus' name. And I know some of us have been praying these types of prayers throughout this week, and all wherever we find ourselves in Chatham County praying these prayers, goodness is breaking through, and that is fantastic. But we also talked about confronting the spiritual forces of evil and praying what the Bible calls binding prayers. These are prayers that forbid that spiritual opposition have any power in a particular situation, or in a particular place, or over a particular person. And so we encourage one another to pray prayers like this. I bind the spirit of death, or I bind the spirit of animosity, or I bind the spirit of contentiousness, or I bind a spirit of, of unforgiveness, or I bind a spirit of whatever. In Jesus' name, because it's not by our power or in our authority, it's in the authority of Jesus. Send it away from and cut off its power over this neighborhood, my classroom, or this relationship, or even this person's life. And hopefully we've been praying those binding prayers as well this week. Now the idea of spiritual opposition and standing against the spiritual forces of evil might feel intimidating to some of us. It might feel foreign to some of us, we may only be comfortable with praying prayers of loosing. And we, we said that was okay last week. We said if that's all you're comfortable with, go ahead, pray prayers of loosing. But folks, if you live into the authority Christ has given us, and you bring spiritual power to everyday places, even if you default to only praying prayers of blessing or prayers of loosing, you are eventually going to encounter opposition to that you're eventually going to encounter opposition. Because the enemy of our souls, the enemy of this world, the one who governs over the kingdom of death does not like blessing and goodness being loosed upon places, upon people, and in situations. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Even if you sort of encounter spiritual opposition while praying, while not going out to look for it, while simply praying prayers of loosing or blessing, the passage Robert read for us shows us that Jesus has given us everything we need to continually carry spiritual power into everyday places, into every situation, 
into every relationship we find ourselves in, even when they, when they encounter opposition. Jesus has given us everything we need to not be pushed back, to not be cowed, to not be defeated by any opposition we encounter. And it's wrapped up mostly in that picture of the armor of God that Robert read. And our part in all of that, our part is simply to bring it with us when we go. Jesus has given it. He's told us that we need it. He's told us to put it on. Our part is to remember to bring it with us to not leave it behind. Because if we leave it behind, we run the risk of missing the opportunity to bring spiritual power to the places that we find ourselves in. The author of the letter that we read, or the, the letter of Ephesians, is someone known as the Apostle Paul. And here's the thing. He's not lived an easy life as a follower of Jesus. If you read his story in the book of Acts, or you read how he talks about his life through the letters we have collected of his in the New Testament, things have not gone well for him all the time. They've not gone smoothly. He's, just for a few examples, he's been beaten, he's been imprisoned, he's been chased out of places, he's been maligned, he's been discredited, he's had people that he's invested in, that he's seen good things happen in their lives because of his work in their lives, because of God's work through him in their lives, he's seen those people turn their backs on him. And so much more. At every turn in his life and in his ministry, there seem to be people resisting the work that he is doing to advance the message of Jesus, which makes the words he used in this passage even more striking. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. See, if anyone would have had a legitimate claim to say that our struggle is against flesh and blood, it would have been Paul because it seems like flesh and blood is standing in his way at every turn, from every corner, from every angle. He could have legitimately said our struggle is against the Roman Empire, right, the government of his time. He could have said our struggle is against the Jewish authorities, the religious institutions of his time. He's, he could have said our struggle is against uh, uh, stubborn and or apathetic pagans, right? the people who didn't want anything to do with God in his time. He could have said our struggle is against immature and hypocritical Christians. You don't need to translate that one. That one's still pretty evident. That happens even today. We could go on. Maybe we wish he would have said those things because it feels like those are the people and things we find ourselves struggling against, isn't it? Aren't they? Doesn't it feel like sometimes some of those are the things standing in our way, standing against us, opposing us, getting in our way? But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that because at one point he was the one resisting he was the one standing in the way of people who were looking to bring spiritual power to everyday places, to release goodness, blessing into situations, into relationships, and into locations. And then he met Jesus. And everything changed. People, the things they make, the systems they set up, people's efforts and people's energies, will oppose you and I at times. 
It is going to feel like people and their work is stand, are standing in our way. In fact, sometimes people may position themselves as our enemies. They may call themselves our enemies. They may see us as their enemies or adversaries. But here's what I want you to remember, what I want all of us to remember. God wants every one of them in the company of Christ. God wants every one of them to have a parallel experience, a parallel transformation to the one Paul had and to the one many of us have had, if not all of us. Friends, the ultimate battle, even when we find ourselves feeling like it's actually people and their efforts and energy standing in our way, the ultimate adversary, the ultimate enemy, the ultimate thing, the ultimate institution that is standing in our way are the spiritual forces of evil. One of the things that I appreciate about the civil rights movement that Dr. King helped lead is, is that the, and the principles of nonviolence that they practice is that these principles, these concepts are woven throughout how he led. They are reflected in his understanding. He understood that the battle was not ultimately against flesh, that the battle was not ultimately against government, that the battle was not ultimately against people who were racist, that the battle was not ultimately against the people who were violent towards them, even while they stood against that. Ultimately, the battle was against the evil one. He's quoted, and his policies are quoted as saying things like, evil itself. Not the people committing evil acts should be opposed. He would say things to his people like, seek to win the friendship and the understanding of the opponent, not to humiliate him or her. Because that person might be on our side, might be won over someday. Nonviolent resistance, he's quoted as saying, avoids both external physical violence and internal violence of the spirit. The nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but also refuses to hate him. The nonviolent resistor responds to the hate directed at them with love. With love. The redeeming goodwill for all men. Now, friends, there may be times, there are going to be plenty of times, when the opposition we encounter won't be associated to people. We may enter into spaces or be in relationships or be in locations or be in situations where we can feel a dark presence, where we can feel that things are just not right. But there are times where we are going to associate that opposition with people. When we do, let us not forget, especially in this day and age when it is so easy, so easy, to make people who don't agree with us, to make people who oppose us, to make people who feel like they're fighting a contrary purpose to us. It's so easy to make them the enemy and make our goal to defeat them. Let's remember, let's remember who the battle is really against. Here's why. If we remember who the battle is really against, we'll be able to maintain the posture that we were called to have towards everyone we encounter, love may be able to love those who oppose us. We may be able to maintain hope that they might come into the kingdom of light if they are not there yet. And we will be at the ready to seize the opportunities that God gives us to bring spiritual power into those relationships, into those places 
into those situations, not just for the general good, but for their good as well. Now that we've framed the struggle and we've identified the ultimate enemy, let's go over some things that the passage points out to us. The passage gives us a number of commands. Three or four of them are main commands on how we engage spiritual power, on how we engage with spiritual power in everyday places and how we might stand against the work of the evil one. Two of them are connected, so we're going to do this in three segments. The first command that is given is this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And you got to say that completely. You can't just say be strong. It's be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because if it were just be strong, then the encouragement would be whenever you come into a place and you encounter spiritual opposition or you're bringing about good, just flex your spiritual muscle. Flex your understanding of the Bible. Flex the strength of your prayer. Or do better and try harder so that you, can, you are able to flex those muscles. But that's not what it says. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, here's the thing. We all have maturing to do. Until we breathe our last breath, there will be more depth of spiritual life to encounter and to achieve. There will be more wisdom to obtain. There will be more prayers to pray. There will be ways to grow in intimacy with God. We will have more ways to become more spiritually mature people. We all have maturing to do in faith in every aspect of life. But we don't have to wait until a future date, until we've become blank enough in order to bring spiritual power to bear against the forces of the evil one. We don't have to wait to take a stand. We can take a stand on day one. On day one, not because of our strength, but because we have been granted and told to be strong in the Lord. We have access to that mighty power on day one. We are under the banner of the one who has won the victory over every spiritual force of evil. The one who has defeated every enemy that might stand against us. Everything that might oppose us gives us his strength. Now, yes, there are ways in which he is strengthening us as well, but he also gives us his strength to stand against any opposition his spiritual power to bring to everyday places. Right there where you are, if you're like, oh, I don't know, I'm not ready to do anything against any sort of spiritual opposition. I don't want to encounter any spiritual opposition. I'm afraid that I'm too weak to sort of meet the demands of any spiritual opposition. It doesn't depend on you. The Lord has given you his strength. The Lord has strengthened you by his mighty power, and his mighty power has already proven itself enough to defeat the works of the evil one. He's already won the victory. You stand, and I stand in that victory. So be strong in the Lord. Be strong in his mighty power. The second imperative, which has two things connected to it, is this. Put on the full armor of God. And then it says to stand firm. But it says that the full armor of God is what enables us to stand firm. So I'm connecting those two, two, two together. There are two things I want to note about that command or those commands. The first is that it says full armor. Full armor. It doesn't say put on pieces of the armor as you are able. It's a package. We need all of it. We are given all of it so that we might be able to stand. 
All of it is accessible to us. And if we reject or refuse any one of the components, then we're not embracing the full armor of God. And if we're not embracing the full armor of God, then we will be limited in our ability to stand. Be limited in our ability to stand firm. Second is that, the second thing I want to point out is that's in itself. The invitation is to stand firm. Which is odd because if we're talking about battle, it doesn't say charge. It doesn't say attack. Now here's some context that might be helpful for us. Paul and his initial audience, when thinking about soldiers, the picture that would have come to mind would have been of Roman soldiers. Because these are the soldiers that they would have seen in their lifetime. These are the soldiers this is the, of, of the most powerful army, of the most powerful empire of their time. It is occupying most of what is known to them as the world. The reputation of the Roman army is that when they were in battle, if they encountered opposition, if the opposition came on the offensive, Roman soldiers didn't retreat. Opposition came, they stood their ground, they closed ranks, they matched up shields, they protected. And they, they were told to stand their ground. And the thing that was said about the Roman army was that if they stood together and they held their ground, they were virtually invincible. The only hope you had to defeat the Roman army was to get them to break ranks and fight. Break ranks charge away. Something to note about this, to remember, is that even though in these letters when we read it in English, we see things like you, it's a y'all passage. This is an all y'all passage. Paul is speaking here not to an individual, painting a picture of a lone warrior that's charging ahead to take on a full army. He's painting a picture of groups of individuals that are going into battle together. you've not yet joined one of our communities here, if you're not part of any sort of community that is, that is bringing spiritual power into everyday places, whether it's a small group or one of our serving teams or one of our Bible studies or just a group of key friends that are bringing spiritual power into everyday places, friends, it's time. It's long overdue. You and I were not made to go at this alone. You and I were made to stand together, to stand with one another. And as we stand with one another and we stand our ground, it doesn't matter how strong the opposition may feel. It doesn't matter how intimidating it may be. We will not be defeated. The one whose banner we fight under stands victorious. Now let's get back to this idea of the full armor of God. In the images that you see, there are, there are lots of pieces of armor very distinctive. Every piece of that armor identifies what army these people are part of. And they need every single piece to head into battle. They need every single piece in order to fight well, in order to be at their best. No part is optional. It is similar when it comes to the armor of God. So here are the things that identify those that are in this under the banner of Jesus. Here are the things that are identified as part of the full armor of God. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the spirit, word of God. 
we bring with us into this battle, into bringing spiritual power to everyday places, truth, what is real, what is dependable, what is complete. We bring righteousness, an alignment with the will of God, the doing of the things that God has said are good, and the refraining from doing of the things that God has said are not good. We bring the gospel of peace, the good news that shalom, that harmony, that well-being has come and is available to this whole world, to every relationship, to every person, to every place. And it is one not by violence, but through the selfless love and sacrifice of Jesus. Love and sacrifice that is conquered, not violence. We bring with us faith. This belief that no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper, that God is with us and has won the victory, that, the, that in the battle that is being fought in the unseen realm, the one who is with us is stronger than the one who is against us. We bring with us salvation, this idea that we are his, not by anything that we have done, not by anything that we have achieved, not by anything that we have won for ourselves, but by grace. Without fearing that if we, take, that if we have a misstep, we are suddenly going to lose his cover. We bring with us the Spirit, the Word of God. We bring the words of the Spirit in our soul, along with the God-breathed Word in Scripture, the authoritative Word. These things work together to bring spiritual power. You could make a case, in fact, that in some ways there is spiritual power that comes with us bringing these things. Because in the places where there is truth, where there is righteousness, where there is peace, where there is faith, where there is salvation, where there is the proclamation of the word of God, when there is the truth being spoken, there is power there as well. There is good that is released, that is evil, that is silenced. So take a moment and consider. What are you bringing into the everyday places you go to, the situations you find yourself in, the relationships you take part of? What are you putting on as you go out every day? Because if it's not truth, then what is the alternative? Because if it's lies, in some way you may end up fighting on behalf of the father of lies instead of against him. If it's not righteousness, then what? Is it dishonor? Is it corruption? Is it selfish impulses? Those things crumble relationships, situations, and places. Do people know you as a person of peace or do they know you as a person who is quarrelsome, who is always quick to pick a fight because if they do know you as that, they will never be settled enough around you to trust in the God that you proclaim. Do you bring with yourself a shield of faith? Because if you don't, what good will cynicism do you against the darts of the evil and the arrows of the enemy? Cynicism is never extinguished, extinguishable in God's sight. In fact, cynicism doubts that it's even real. If you doubt that it's real, how will you be able to fight the fight? Are you trapped in a cycle of trying to prove yourself, trying to prove your worth, trying to prove your value, trying to earn your forgiveness rather than trusting in the work of the cross and in the resurrection? Because if you are trapped in, your, in that cycle, you will inevitably engage in the comparison game that the world offers. Which diminishes
spiritual ability to love one another? Are you led and empowered by the wisdom of the words of the Spirit speaking in you or the eternal words that are spoken in Scripture of the one who is sovereign? Or are you led by the wisdom of the age, which is one thing today and another thing tomorrow? Keeps us from standing alone. These things, those things, don't bring spiritual power into our They leave a trail of death, devastation, and destruction in the midst of it. You and I were called to something different. Those things do not help us stand alone. Put on the full armor of God. Don't be susceptible to any, any possible thing that might cause you to fall. The third imperative is this. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. It's a twofold invitation to prayer. On the first, on the first uh, aspect, that first part is basically go pray in everyday places. Bring spiritual power, right? If we were to apply to our community at this time, go do binding and loosing prayers wherever you go. Pray those kinds of prayers. Bring power there. Bind and loose. Then in the second half, pay attention to the people. Pray for the folks who are standing alongside you. Pay attention to what's going on in their lives. Pray with and for them. We're going to do some of that today. We're going to open up a time of prayer. Here's what's going to happen in a moment. I'm